Good evening and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of Southern California and USC. I'm Jack Waterman. And I'm Nia Harris. We're coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. It's Thursday, February 16, 2023. On today's show, we find out why people are leaving California in droves. I don't know. I don't know if I really belong here, so I'm thinking about going to New York maybe. Celebrating the accomplishments of the 1965 North Valley Broncos baseball team. If I don't have this park, I don't, be, I, I don't want to be drafted by the Baltimore Orioles, go to USC and play on three national title teams. I started right here. And a recap of current undergraduate student government ahead of next week's elections. All that and more from where we are after these news headlines. In a statement via social media, the family of Bruce Willis has announced that the actor has been diagnosed with frontotemporal dementia. This comes after Willis was diagnosed with aphasia last year due to irregular speech patterns. Frontotemporal dementia is the most common form of dementia for people over the age of 60. The family continued in a statement, We know in our hearts that, if he could today, he would want to respond by bringing global attention and a connectedness with those who are dealing with this debilitating disease and how it impacts so many individuals and their families. President Biden in a statement today says that there is, quote, no indication, end quote, that the objects shot down over the weekend were part of a Chinese spy balloon operation. Quote, we don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing right now suggests that they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from any other country. End quote. The president has directed his team to create sharper rules for benign objects such as the ones seen this weekend and plans to have them implemented as soon as they can be shared with Congress. President Biden also underwent a routine physical today. The oldest president in the nation's history, critics have questioned his health should he run for a second term. The presidential physician, Dr. Kevin O'Connor, found the president to be, quote, a healthy, vigorous 80-year-old male who is fit to successfully execute the duties of the presidency, end quote. Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman checked into a medical center for treatment of his clinical depression. This follows his hospitalization that made last week's headlines. Fetterman also experienced a stroke last year. His chief of staff, Adam Gentleson, said Fetterman's depression worsened the past few weeks during his first term as senator. Those are some of today's top news headlines. From Annenberg Media, I'm Jeffrey Lee. Is the Golden State losing its luster? More than 500,000 people have left California in the past two years due to increasing costs of living and stressors from the COVID-19 pandemic. The U.S. Census Bureau has reported that over 500,000 people have left California between April 2020 and July 2022. California has been seeing a trend in population decline for the past few years with the COVID pandemic, rising housing costs, and challenges of living in big cities pushing people to move towards a simpler lifestyle. California is yet another example of people leaving urban hubs following the pandemic. In the last year of the two-year time span, from July 2021 to July 2022, 211,000 people left California, and more than half of that number was from Los Angeles County alone. We asked USC students why they thought so many people were leaving the state. The main answer we got were the various costs of living in California, such as high gas prices and housing expenses. Students also shared their plans after graduation. Marina Earl, a sophomore majoring in film and television production, said that she does not plan on staying in California after college. I am a film production major, which is kind of 
an odd choice because you want to be in LA and everyone says like you have to be in Los Angeles to make it and be in Hollywood um, but since I'm from the East Coast I just I don't know I don't know if I really belong here so I'm thinking about going to New York maybe culturally I think I miss a lot of the things from the East Coast. Michael Vaughn a sophomore from Newport Beach majoring in political science said that he will most likely stay in California after graduating but he has reservations mostly for long-term issues such as family planning and future finances. I think I will be staying in California after I graduate college. The only thing that would deter me from it is probably the property taxes here and how expensive the cost of living is. Um, if I were to move somewhere, it'd probably be somewhere like a Texas or Florida um, where it's a little bit cheaper to live and probably can start a family up out of college and not have to worry about, you know, not having enough money and stuff like that. Vaughn's desire to move to Texas or Florida is part of a growing trend. While California and New York have both lost hundreds of thousands of residents in the past two years, Texas and Florida's populations have increased substantially. Between the two-year time span when California lost over half a million residents, Texas gained about 884,000 new residents, and Florida gained about 707,000. For Annenberg Media, I'm Paige Shea. We're giving you a warning with this next story, which covers sensitive topics concerning mental health. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued a report this week detailing a shocking increase of mental health crises among teenage girls. And so we wondered, what factors play into this and how can we help? Hallie Macklin has the story. This latest CDC report states teen girls are confronting the highest levels of sexual violence, sadness, and hopelessness they have ever reported. Three out of five girls reported that they felt persistently sad and hopeless. This can lead to devastating effects such as substance abuse and self-harm. Jessica Torres is a second-year grad student studying computer science. I just feel like maybe there's a lot of pressure on girls, not only now, but even like all the time. Um, but I think ultimately maybe it is just a lot of like pressure to um, be a certain way, maybe look a certain way. I don't know, sometimes there's still that like stigma of like you know, reaching out for help without, you know, being told like, oh, well, you're just like looking for attention. Dr. April Thames teaches psychiatry at UCLA. She believes that the best way to tackle this tragic trend is to create spaces for people who need to open up. Really, I think raising awareness and destigmatizing mental health is going, it, it is one road that we sort of need to accomplish first, just to get people to talk about it. Because there's so many girls that are not talking about it, they're not, they're feeling like they're the only person. Um, and then finding the appropriate space, you know, it may not be them coming to my office to do one hour of psychotherapy. It may be just connecting with us, an activity in the community, doing team building, um, friendship circles, talking about peer relationships, because that's so important. Help should be more accessible, says freshman international relations student Valerie Ehrenholt. There's just like a lot of social pressure and people are scared to talk about things. And I think that people are scared to reach out for help. I think that's something that we have to work on to be like not scared to talk about our problems because there's nothing wrong with like having struggles and trying to fix them. The CDC agrees. They say that increasing access to health services, improving health education, and creating a supportive school environment for students will be key to improving the situation for teenage girls. For Annenberg Media, I'm Hallie Mecklen.
A ceremony today honors the accomplishments of the 1965 North Valley Broncos baseball team. However, they weren't just any baseball team. They were the first all-black team to make the Bronco World Series. And today, the original field they played on was renamed North Valley Bronco Square. Terrence Snyder has the story. In a ceremony today with LA City Councilwoman Monica Rodriguez, a baseball field was renamed in honor of the North Valley Broncos. The North Valley Broncos were the first all-black team from Southern California to make the Bronco World Series back in 1965. The Bronco World Series League is a baseball and softball competition for 11 to 12-year-olds. The ceremony included members of the original 1965 North Valley Broncos team. The new North Valley Broncos Square is the place where the team first played in their hometown of Pacoima in the San Fernando Valley. Councilwoman Monica Rodriguez spoke during the ceremony about the effort it took to create this field and team. The members of the North Valley Broncos were convened as a result of their parents that had to pull together resources to lease the lot that is behind us that enabled an all African-American team to be able to do what every other child so often gets to do that we so often take for granted. And that's to come together and play baseball. For black Americans, the luxury of playing baseball wherever they wanted to was not something given to them. It wasn't until 1963 that there were desegregated leagues. The team was not even allowed to play at the park across the street, said former 1965 North Valley Bronco member Anthony Davis. There's a lot of kids that started their, their careers here. And this is and right across the street there. We couldn't play at that park, if you can believe it or not. That was like a miniature Dodger Stadium, because that was that, it was so groomed. And we always looked at that field, that beautiful grass. We had gophers over here. And we had to play with the gophers, but still that honed our skills. Anthony Davis, who went on to play football and baseball at USC, started his athletic career in the now North Valley Broncos Square. If I don't have this park, I don't, be, I don't go on to be drafted by the Baltimore Orioles, go to USC and play on three national title teams. I started right here. But this is something, this is very monumental. As a matter of fact, I've got a lot of awards in my life as an athlete, but this one I'm going to really cherish because this is where everything started for me. The legacy of the North Valley Broncos has provided inspiration for generations of youth in baseball today. For Annenbrook Media, this is Taryn Snyder. I'm Jack Waterman. We're glad you're with us for From Where We Are. And I'm Nia Harris. It's 10 minutes past the hour. Up next, residents of USC's Parkside apartment stumbled out of bed today due to some alarming news. And I look back at the work of the current USG administration before next week's elections. Stay tuned. Today, as on most mornings, students scramble to get out of bed as they wake up to the blaring of their alarm clocks. But this morning at USC's on-campus Parkside Apartments, the blaring was not from an alarm clock, but instead from the fire alarm. Susan Narenda has the story. At 6 o'clock this morning, a small fire broke out at the Parkside Apartments. The culprit? People think it was none other than a hand sanitizer bottle in the hallway. Students and staff at Parkside Apartments say someone lit the hand sanitizer bottle on fire for unknown reasons. This caused smoke to rise and set off the alarm across the freshman residence hall. A USC public safety report on the incident is expected this evening. 
Students living there had different experiences with the fire. While some thought that it was a small incident, others saw the flames as they rushed out of their doors. Um, so I woke up at 6 because the alarm went off and I ran outside of the door. Freshman environmental engineering student Seagal Sharma. I could see the flames and I could see smoke and then everyone was kind of screaming and running. We like ran to the bottom and then when we got to the bottom there were fire ambulances and everybody was kind of evacuating. And Sharma thinks she even saw the cause of the blaze, the flammable hand sanitizer. I think when I saw it, it was right when the fire was happening gotcha. because it was um, the hand sanitizer by the elevators and I live in the bridge section down from the elevators. While some thought that it was a small incident, others saw the flames as they rushed out of their doors. And so we just kind of assumed like, okay, maybe like there's a gas leak near the dining hall. We weren't really too panicked. Students' plans for the morning were disrupted. Freshman Kristen Mayol was going to wake up early this morning. She wanted to study for a midterm, but then she heard the alarm and tried to figure out what was going on. Partly thanks to the preparation, there have been no reports of injuries from the small fire. With the help of the RAs, staff, and firefighters, students were able to evacuate their buildings safely. And as of this afternoon, the elevators are running again at Parkside Apartments. For Annenberg Media, I'm Susan Niranda. Undergraduate student government, USG elections are fast upon us and campaigning is already in full force with a big candidate's debate tonight. To hear what USG has done for students lately, Spencer Klein spoke with the current USG Chief Diversity Officer, Saeed Diaz-Arias. Diaz-Arias began by discussing some of USG's biggest recent successes. Earlier today, Annenberg Radio had the opportunity to speak with Saeed Diaz-Arias, the Chief Diversity Officer of University Student Government. Here's our conversation with him discussing what is the purpose of University Student Government and the importance of voting. The USC LAX shuttle um, that we like brought in during almost every uh, break, whether it be like winter break, uh, fall break, um, and we're planning on still pursuing that initiative within this semester as well. And so um, that initiative like took uh, like I would say it was a huge accomplishment because of the fact that there wasn't this resource beforehand, and this is completely student government run. Another big accomplishment that has that was also spearheaded by our administration was qualitative interviews, in which uh, we were able to hear from various RSOs, um, and they came to us not only speaking about their concerns, but also to learn a little bit about more more about what USG does, um, because a lot of the current uh, student organizations and just current students in general don't really know what USG does in general, like whether it be advocacy, programming, um, even the fact that we're like stipended and we have like these various ties to like administration. A lot of people don't know what that is. They just see USG like gain its prominence through election seasons and then they disappear like as soon as that happens. And so uh, what we kind of emphasize and prioritize in these qualitative interviews was letting them know what USG is and then what can we do for them. A lot of RSOs needed uh, help or assistance within like their internal DEI relations. And so uh, as the chief diversity officer, as well as uh, in, in uh, conjunction with like our vice president, we are planning on sort of like envisioning a project in which we can have some sort of centralized DEI reporting form uh, directly connected with campus activities to see where campus activities can fill in the gaps for those RSOs. If you're just tuning in, that was Zaid Diaz-Arias, the chief diversity officer University Student Government here at USC. 
Later on in the conversation, we will discuss when and where you can vote for university student government leaders. And back to the program. One of the things we've also prioritized is for our uh, legislative branch members who spearhead advocacy projects to really thoroughly think about the project before starting it. Because as we saw in the last year, we had various projects within our project tracker, but not not all of them were one feasible or even seen to fruition. And so one of the things we've definitely prioritized this year is making sure that people are thinking about the projects before actually starting them, engaging with stakeholders, meeting with administration, meeting with the affected communities, and seeing if the actual project will be able to be completed or at least gain really good foundation for the incoming person to take over. So what do you say to the person, the student on campus, who's maybe not involved in campus life at USC, who's maybe not inclined to vote? How do you get their concern out there? Um, a lot of the time, I think people associate, for instance, like high school ASB government, um, which is honestly like initially coming into U USC, I kind of assumed that that would be what USG here is as well. But being in this position now, we have a lot of tangible power when it comes to many decisions within the university. Um, a lot of people within U uh, USC, a lot of students aren't aware the amount of, for instance, uh, how big our budget is. We have control of around $2.5 million. Um, and we it is our job as not only the president and vice president elect, elects, but their cabinet to, reall to allocate and appropriate that money, um, whether it be through the assemblies, through the funding departments, through the communications departments. Um, and then from then on, how are we going to service the student body? And so that's number one, we have a access to a really big budget number two we get like our foot in the door to various important meetings that maybe not a, not other students would have access to and so at the end of the day something to encourage student turnout and people to come out and vote i would say is keep that in mind that yes like this is a superficial government but at the end of the day they do have the power to create and enact real change a lot of the people are you know getting paid for their work and so it is important that we're representative of your needs your ideas and your values and so yeah so i would i would say go into this election with that in mind that this isn't just some superficial government this is uh yes this is a student government but we they do have that influence and that was Zaid Diaz-Arias, the Chief Diversity Officer of University Student Government, in conversation for Annenberg Radio earlier today. Voting for your elected officials will start on Tuesday, February 21st at midnight and will end on Sunday, February 26th. For Annenberg Media, I'm Spencer Klein. And that's all we have time for on today's From Where We Are. Before we get to the credits, 500,000 people leave in California. That's crazy. What are your plans after college? Graduation is coming up soon. Yeah? So Where are you I headed? Love, I love the sunny side, you know, weather here, so I may still be in California. All right. I got a couple more years, so we'll see if it has the same effect on me. Spencer Klein, Jeffrey Lee, Daishlin Satcher, and Ethan Huang produced this, today's show. We also had help from MJ Newsom, Jack Hallinan, and Amy Lopez. Derek Renfro composed our theme music today. Matt Chen runs our soundboard. Our live stream manager is Vanessa Wong. Be sure to check us out on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News. I'm Nia Harris. And I'm Jack Waterman. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, wherever you are, from, from where, where we, we are. are. 6 a.m. Midterm week. Jeez. Make sure to study. I'm going back to bed if I'm woken up that early. <laughs> <laughs>